Hello, friends from Average Cheese Podcast. This is Bill Doinks from Zero Doinks, the weirdest Chicago Bears podcast in the history of the world. I just wanted to wish you lots of bad luck this upcoming week and weekend as the Packers visit Soldier Field against the unbelievable Chicago Bears. I'm sure you guys are so nervous because the Packers have had zero success against the Bears for the past 20 years. So I get it. I get it if you're super nervous. You have place kicker issues. Uh, You might want to place a call to the New Orleans Saints. Cody Parkey's probably available for trade if you want to pick him up this week. I'm sure that's a great idea. Anyway, we love you, but we wish you lots of bad luck this week. Bill Doinks, Zero Doinks, signing off. Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! So welcome to episode 58 of the Average Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lobel, flying solo tonight because life just got in the way. Apologies again to Todd and Peter, because sometimes I don't have my shit together. If you are listening to us for the first time, that quarter in the jar is every time I cuss. I will put a quarter in the jar for Habitat for Humanity. You can get a hold of us at AVG Cheese on Twitter. You can email us, avgcheese at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, though you'll find very little content there, as I say every week. I will put this episode up there, however. In this episode, you'll hear a short message from our friend Bill from Zero Doinks, the Bears podcast. It is Bears week. So they had to say something. I put something on their podcast too. Go listen to them. Zero doinks. When we kick the shit out of the bears this week, it'll be an entertaining podcast for sure. Peter will also put a recorded segment in here because it is now 2.13 a.m. in England. And I'm sure he's not awake. So again, thanks, Peter. Thanks to our 675 Twitter followers. Appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks for coming along for the ride. And if you're listening to us for the first time, we have a shoe raffle. Please feel free to DM me and I will send you a link. We are raffling off custom Packer shoes for Habitat for Humanity. As of this afternoon on Wednesday, we were up to $340. We're trying to get to $2,500. While I know that's a very lofty goal, it's what we want to do for Habitat. Average Cheese will take $0.00 of that money. Every cent that you donate will go towards Habitat for Humanity. So thank you for those of you who have already donated your money. And we will raffle that off beginning of December. Episode 58, the Dan Curry episode. Peter will talk about his friend. Now, there's many reasons we love Peter. And one of them is he has met some amazing people in the Packer world. And Dan Curry, Peter calls friend. Uh, Dan Curry passed away a couple of years ago, but he will talk more about Dan Curry and hopefully he will talk a little bit about Bears Packers history because he's the expert and I'm just here to talk shit. So before we get into Packers Bengals from last week, some slices, John Gruden is out as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, which is hard to say Las Vegas Raiders. Could they just keep moving? They probably won't move from Vegas in that beautiful stadium, but Oakland, Los Angeles, now Las Vegas Raiders. Somewhere in the archives of my old hats, I have an Oakland Raiders hat like they used to wear in NWA. Anybody out there listen to NWA when they were younger? Anyway, he's out. I don't want to talk about the racist shit that he said or any of the misogynistic stuff that he said. He's a clown. And really, I don't know what the Raiders expected out of John Gruden. That's kind of what exactly you would expect from John Gruden. He's just kind of a meathead. Yes, he's smart on play calling and stuff, but he just looks like a fucking meathead when you look at him. 
Has anyone ever seen his kid? His kid is gigantic. Looks like he's pumped a bunch of roids. Also meathead. Guess that runs in a family. The interesting thing to me, though, is not that John Gruden is a fucking clown and he said a bunch of dumb shit on email, which, of course, it's going to come back to you, dumb fuck. Wow. I'm really cussing a lot today. I'm going to run out of quarters immediately. The thing that is interesting to me is that this came out of an investigation on the Washington football team. And the NFL pulled all these emails and the email that are in question are from John Gruden to Redskin ownership, right, at the time. So why is the only news coming out of the 65,000 emails that were pulled from the servers in Washington? Why is the only thing coming out of this that John Gruden said some racist shit? Nowhere in the 65,000 emails did anything come out over what they were investigating? That seems odd, right? Not one Redskin person, one employee said any dumb shit in regards to what they were actually investigating. It almost feels like John Gruden is the fall guy or the scapegoat, the smokescreen that walks away and doesn't show what really happened or what was happening at that time in Washington. Cause they weren't investigating John Gruden. They were investigating the issues that the Redskins had at that time, the Allen family and the cheerleader scandal and all the things that were going on in Washington at that point, nothing has come of that. That really looks like the NFL circling the wagons and protecting Bruce Allen and the Washington football team. I don't know where else to go with that. I don't want to talk about anything so, except for where do they go now? Do the Raiders go out and find a minority candidate to try to show like they're not a racist football team? Do they go after a splashy hire? You know, where do they go? Just a really interesting turn of events with John Gruden. On a similar note, Urban Meyer is a fucking idiot too. Urban Meyer, coach of the Jaguars, was caught basically dry humping some woman half his age after a game. While that's bad enough that Urban Meyer, grandpa, is hanging all over some 20-something woman, that's bad on its own. But Urban Meyer didn't even fly home with the team. And I wonder then, with his stints in Florida and at Ohio State, the Ohio State University, did Urban Meyer just not get on the plane with everybody. I don't know what that's all about. It's very strange to me. So Urban Meyer doesn't get on a plane to leave with the team. He ends up having some video. And again, Urban, are you that fucking old where you don't know that if you walk into a bar that some dummy is not going to be videotaping you with his phone? I don't even know. All I say to you, Urban Meyer, is you need to fucking quit too. You're not the same dumbass that John Gruden is. But if you are already five games into your first season in Jacksonville and you're not steering the ship, you're clearly not the guy there. And just get out of football. Unrelated to dumbass coaches, or maybe depending on who the NFL sends here, the NFL is looking into playing games in Germany. Now, I understand where they're going with that. It's a great marketing ploy to start playing games in other countries. They played in Mexico. They played in England. They're trying to play a game in Germany. I get it. The NBA has a more global feel because we get players in the NBA from all over the world. The United States is primarily a United States game with United States-born players. So trying to bring in fans from all over the world is smart. But if they keep playing really shitty teams like Atlanta, New York, Jacksonville, just really bad teams, you're not going to grow the game. So I wonder where they play. There's some places in Germany, right, that could have a stadium large enough. I'm sure there are soccer fields all over the place that could play American football. And I think it's a great idea. 
But again, if they keep playing these games with really bad teams, I don't know that they're going to grow the brand like they'd like to. Now, you also then have to force the, one of the teams to have an away game when they are go- supposed to have a home game. I would be very surprised, although the Packers are forced into it, I would be very surprised if the Packers play an international game anytime soon. The league has to know the economic impact that Packer games have on Green Bay. When with the smallest city, the smallest franchise in the league, taking that amount of revenue, I think it's like $15 million per game. I don't know if that's a good idea. I guess at the end of the day, the NFL will do what the NFL wants to do because they are juggernaut. They are the behemoth. In Packer news, last slice, the Packers have signed Quentin Dunbar to the practice squad. And I assume that very, very soon, Quentin Dunbar is going to be on the 53-man roster, if not this week. With Jair Alexander on injury reserve, not sure when he's going to be back. Kevin King, who is made out of glass, who played well, and I'll talk about that later. But Kevin King is also dinged up. He may miss a game. I have not seen that he's going to miss this week. After Eric Stokes, who is really improving, it's Isaac Yadam, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Kavian Ento, and a bunch of other fucking dudes who can't play the game. Shandon Sullivan. It's ugly. So who knows what that will happen. But anyway, Quentin Dunbar is on the practice squad. Very interesting because the Packers usually look for guys who don't have character issues. Quentin Dunbar does not fit that bill, which really makes it look like the Packers are super desperate for any kind of cornerback depth at this point. They're not confident in the guys that they have. Packers have also signed Razul Douglas off of the Cardinals practice squad. So there's that. So they are looking for guys. They're looking for bodies. But anyway, back to Quentin Dunbar. Quentin Dunbar is not the typical Packer guy. Quentin Dunbar, although he was, I don't want to call it acquitted, because that's not the right word for it, but they dropped charges on Quentin Dunbar He was arrested for armed robbery with some other defensive back. I think his name is DeAndre Baker. And then there was alleged payments to the people who accused Quentin Dunbar of the crime. So there's some shady, shady shit going on there with Quentin Dunbar. So we will see, I guess, when you're when you have not had charges pressed against you, then you are innocent until proven guilty, but it's typically not a Packer thing to go after guys with baggage. So let's get on to the game that was played last week, an absolute nail biter and a very, very strange game overall. At some point, even as a Packer fan and all of us, we live and die by what they do. I think I may have had a coronary, maybe one or two times, almost had a stroke. The whole end of the game was absolutely bizarre, and the Packers were clearly lucky to just have come out of there. So let's get on to the good, the bad, and the ugly against the Bengals. So offensively, the running game was pretty good. Aaron Jones broke a long run for 57 yards, which padded his 103 yards for the day. 14 carries, 103 yards, along with 57 he also caught four balls for only six yards, which I thought was kind of strange. A.J. Dillon had eight carries in this game for 30 yards. So overall, 22 carries, 133 yards. It's six yards per carry average, which is kind of nice. Again, it's nice to see Dillon getting a couple carries. And even though Aaron Jones was not very effective out of the backfield, A.J. Dillon was. Four catches for 49 yards, 24 yards long, and a touchdown. And I am a little bit surprised at how versatile A.J. Dillon is. When they drafted A.J. Dillon, I thought he's more of the Derrick Henry type. He's going to run straight ahead, smash into dudes, three yards in a cloud of dust type shit. But really, A.J. Dillon is far more dynamic than I expected. So to go back to the point, though, the running game was good. 
Also, I don't know what you can say about Devontae Adams other than that man is the best wide receiver in all of football. There's no other argument. He can run every route asked of him. And even though he's being double teamed almost constantly, the man gets open. His feet are amazing. And yeah, he's dropped a couple more balls this year than I've ex- I kind of expected him to, but 11 catches, 206 yards and a touchdown. The best route of the game by him was that hesitation on the deep ball. He just froze both guys. He was being double covered. They had him inside and out. Little hesitation step and boom, gone. Now, Devontae Adams isn't a blazer, so he's not always going to run away from guys, but absolutely spectacular. So the Packers, for the first time in Packer history, which is bizarre to me, 300-yard passer, 200 yards receiving, Devontae Adams, and 100-yard rusher in Aaron Jones. First time in Packer history. Just seems like a franchise that's as old as we are. You think that would have happened before last week. What a shame it would have been, too, if they'd have lost that game. The bad on offense, Robert Tanyan is a fucking ghost right now. Last year, 60 catches, was 11 touchdowns, something like that. Absolutely non-existent. And Lazard, too. If you look at the passing yards, Aaron Rodgers had 344 yards passing, two touchdowns and an interception. Devontae Adams accounts for 206 of those 344 yards. At some point, that's going to come back to bite you. Todd said it well, and he said it a couple times now. We need balance on this offense. You cannot expect to throw the ball to Devontae Adams over and over and over again and always be successful. Teams are going to continue to scheme Devontae Adams. How can they wipe out Devontae Adams? Because then who else is there? As of right now, there's no one. Devontae Adams was targeted 16 times in this game. Of Aaron Rodgers' 39 passing attempts, Devontae Adams was targeted 16 times. Aaron Jones had five targets. A.J. Dillon had four. Mercedes Lewis, two. Randall Cobb, three. Robert Tanyan, two. Alan Lazard, two targets. Kylan Hill, one target. At some point, we got to be more diverse than that. And I think against good teams, and not that Cincinnati is a bad team, But at some point, better defensive teams are going to make you pay. You have to be more balanced. We've talked about it 8 million times on this show. On defense, good, bad, and the ugly, I got to give it to Kevin King. Kevin King played well in this game. Stuck his nose in there. He did have another flying headbutt, which is (laughs) sometimes watching Kevin King tackle is sort of funny. But Kevin King played pretty well. Adrian Amos continues to play well one pick eight tackles pass defense really played well in this game and and kind of an important pick I felt like like it was sort of a momentum changer at that point Devondre Campbell every freaking week every week of this season Aaron Rodgers said it in a press conference how was this guy on the street I don't know Aaron I don't fucking know Right now, Devondre Campbell is the best linebacker to play inside linebacker in recent memory. And it's not close at all. Devondre Campbell keeps putting up stats, and he also does things that don't show up in the stats. He is a smart player, gets out in space. If you watch him, you don't have the NFL app, which again, fucking sucks. Hate the NFL app, but when it does work, It really shows, if you watch the game over again, if you watch it for a second time, if you watch Devondre Campbell, he just gets it. He just gets it. He sees things that are happening in front of him. He's able to read. He's a smart player. From what Aaron Rodgers said in his press conference, Devondre Campbell is a super dude, good locker room guy, as important or more important, the dude makes plays. A huge interception that if Joe Burrow doesn't launch himself at Devondre Campbell, the game is probably over. I think Campbell probably runs it back for a touchdown without Joe Burrow 
And then we wouldn't have had to go through all this drama. But Devondre Campbell, interception for 13 yards, pass defense, eight tackles. And sort of related, I guess I should have put this in the slices, the Packers also signed Jalen Smith, who was inactive for the Bengals game. Did the linebacker crew go from huge area of need to relative strength in a very short amount of time? No, I know that Jalen Smith has never lived up. He has not recently lived up to the hype that he had coming out of college. But you went from Chris Barnes, Christian Kirksey, Ty Summers, Oren Burks, complete garbage last year. And Barnes was good last year, but we didn't know he was going to be good. Undrafted rookie, no depth. Summers and Burks, as we've said a million times, terrible. To now we have Chris Barnes, Devondre Campbell, Jalen Smith. I think that they've upgraded the position drastically. Jalen Smith has to be better than Ty Summers and Oren Burks. He can't be worse. And the Packers are paying him like $720,000. It's going to be awesome. And on the Jalen Smith thing, Green Bay is where he wanted to play. He played at Notre Dame when Lafleur was at Notre Dame, and this is the place he wanted to come, which is awesome. Because at some point, you know Aaron Rodgers, and I know I'm fucking going all over the place right now, but at some point, Aaron Rodgers is not going to be around. And now who are you playing for? Like, why do free agents come to Green Bay? And if free agents come to Green Bay, because not only are we winning, but they really like the head coach and the things that are happening, that transcends the player, Aaron Rodgers, and really bodes well for the future in Green Bay. So that's the good. Devondre Campbell, Adrian Amos, and Kevin King. The bad and the ugly, God damn it, TJ Slayton. I couldn't fanboy you anymore. And on that play at the end of the half, where Jamar Chase caught that 70-yard ball that seemed to go right through the body of Darnell Savage like he was invisible, my guy TJ Slayton gets in the game. Yay, snaps for TJ. He rushes the passer and ends up, I don't know, 10, 15 yards from Burrow, who then turns and you know runs to his right. And TJ fucking Slayton, that fat ass, basically fucking stands there and like, ah, oh, I'm too fucking fat. I can't get my fat ass over there. Come on, TJ. Now I know why you don't get any snaps. Because you're fucking lazy, man. Like, come on. You're an NFL player. And I got to recycle my quarters because I'm out already. But my God, absolutely disgusting on that play. Piss poor effort. Piss poor effort. I now know why you don't get snaps. Because you don't put in 100% effort. And you don't need to be on this roster if that continues, as much as I thought you were the answer, at least for that play, I get it. I get why you don't get any snaps. Holy smokes, like pissed about that. I watched that play on the re- replay too, and I was like, oh my God, that's absolutely terrible. A couple of other things that were kind of sad. Jamar Chase, even though the most of his yards were on that 70-yarder, you take away that 70 yard or he had five catches for 89 yards. He still had five catches for 89 yards, which is what? 16 yards of catch. Still pretty, pretty ugly. T Higgins had some short catches, but I just thought that while Eric Stokes has really gotten to be better as a player, he still sometimes he can't stay with everybody. Not yet. And I think Eric Stokes will get considerably better. And if we can sign Jair down the road and keep him and Eric Stokes, that is a one-two punch that is very rare. That is a combination of two guys that are on the come up. So it should be interesting. But Stokes played okay, not great. Again, my big ugly was TJ Slayton in this game. So this week, Chicago Bears week. Peter's going to give you some Packers history, Bears Packers history. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Average Cheese podcast. As you could hopefully tell from the accent, I'm not Dale or Todd. 
We've been struggling this week to try and get our schedules together and we feel a little bit like the Packers offensive line. You never quite know from week to week which one of us is going to turn up or which two of us are going to turn up or what the lineup's going to be. But hopefully we could be as successful as the Packers offensive line. The guys will be back soon. So for tonight's show, or this morning's show as I'm recording this at nearly 1am here in the UK, you've got to listen to me, Peter Jones. Hopefully at this point you haven't yet switched off. So. Episode 58, the Dan Curry episode, and we'll talk a bit about Dan's career with the Packers in just a moment. But it would be remiss of me not to remind our listeners and those of you telling you for the first time, if you've never listened to the show before, that um, we've got a shoe raffle going on, trying to raise $2,500 for Habitat for Humanity. The shoes will be of the winner's size. Whoever wins it will get the shoes of their size. They'll be packerized by Dwight from ddgcustoms.com, who also sponsors the show, so special thanks to Dwight. If you're interested, hit us up on either AVG Cheese on Twitter or email avgcheese at gmail.com, or you can even find us on Facebook, although we don't post there very often. Again, AVG Cheese on, on Facebook. DM us on Twitter, and we can give you all the details about, about the shoe raffle. Like we say, trying to raise $2,500 for Habitat for Humanity. For those of you that have listened to the show before, you'll know that the guys cuss for charity, although I don't cuss very much. But again, 25 cents goes in the jar every time we cuss on the on the show. That goes to, to Habitat for Humanity at the end of the season. And every listen the show gets, the penny will go to Habitat for Humanity. So we'll move on. Episode 58, the Dan Curry episode. So a number of players have worn 58 for the Packers over, over the years. But for me, this is a special episode. Dan was a neat guy. I got to know Dan in the late 90s, early early 2000s. So Dan was a all-pro linebacker for the Packers, played with the team from 58 to 64, was traded to the Rams in 65, and the deal that brought Carol Dale to the Packers. Now, Dan was, say, was an all-pro in 61, 62, 63, and probably would have had a much longer career with Green Bay had he not injured his knee badly in 62. Hurt his knee against the Eagles late in the 62 season and then re-injured it in the championship game against the Giants at the end of that 62 season. And by his own admittance, was probably never quite the same player again. You know, medical science not being you know, 50 years ago, not being 60 years ago now, not quite being what it is, is today, obviously wouldn't have helped, helped Dan's cause. But Dan was a great player in college. So we go back prior to his Packer career. It was the Packers first round draft pick in the 1958 draft, third overall pick in that draft. And that came off the back of, of Dan being in the top 10 in the Heisman Trophy voting for the 57 season. And when you think Dan played center and linebacker to be in the top 10 in voting, I think that shows what a super player he was in college. So like I say, Packers first overall pick in the 58 draft, a draft that also had the Packers taking Jim Taylor, Ray Nitschke and Jerry Kramer. What an unbelievable draft that was for the Packers. And Jerry Kramer and Dan would be quite close for a number of years. Jerry, Jerry and Dan were, were uh, roommates during Dan's career with the with the Packers, and like I say, Dan had a really had a really fine career with the with the Packers. And I'm chuckling as I talk because I'm thinking of somebody when Dan first in about his second year with the Packers, some of the older guys set him up to be the player rep, and so he had to you know, had to deal with with management in particular with Vince and all kinds of issues that the players the players wanted 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 raising, including things like the seating arrangements or for the players wives at games and things like that and I'm sure that it was I could imagine it was a job that nobody really wanted it makes me chuckle to think of having to deal with with Vince and that stuff but I'm sure that whilst that was a, a difficult thing to have to do I know that Vince appreciated Dan's play on the field where he was one of the premier outside linebackers for a few years there 58 64 you know and and, and was part of that linebacker crew in the late 50s one of the best linebacking crews probably the Packers had and it's Dan at left linebacker the great Bill Forrester at right linebacker 
And initially, Tom Bettis, who was another player who wore 58 for one year in the 19, in the 1950s, just as an aside, but Tom Bettis, a middle linebacker, would eventually lose his role to, to Ray Nitschke. So as I say, wonderful, wonderful player. And I got to know him. Um, he was working security at casinos in, in, in Las Vegas. And I went out to meet, meet him out there. And just, just a neat guy, quiet, unassuming, got to talk. We got to talk football, you know, just um, a very special, special time for, for me. And if I give you an essence of, of the kind of guy that, that, that he was, every now and again, things would appear through my mailbox and it would be a signed magazine from the 1960s, a Sports Illustrated signed by Dan Curry, the version that he was on the cover of, signed photos. And I never knew that stuff was coming, just appeared out of the blue randomly. Just a, just a neat, neat guy. Um, sadly passed away in in 2017 but you know special relationships and and yeah a special guy and please go look up more about number 58 dapper dan curry super super player whose career was like i say unfortunately really cut short by that knee injury moving on of course we had the london game which i guess i should i should talk about this past weekend and we've got another another game coming up you know that game as always with the London games, whoever's whoever's playing, and, and they haven't necessarily got, should we say, the most exciting of fixtures this year. Whoever's playing in those games, those games sell out. And they would sell out two or three times over for a two, three, four game schedule in the, in, in the UK. Fans of all teams are going, fans of all wearing all their own team colours. So it's, it's quite a unique atmosphere in that way every year that those london games go on and of course there weren't games last year because of the pandemic we get more and more talk in the media about whether or not there might eventually be a london franchise i would doubt that very much speaking as a as a guy in the uk i would doubt that very much for a for a number of reasons not least because of the logistics of having a team three four five thousand miles away um, how the scheduling would work. But I'm also not convinced that, I think it's one thing to sell out two or three or even four games a season. I'm not sure how that would last when it was an eight game season, or, you know, eight home games, season in, season out. But we'll see how that goes. So enough of that round the NFL stuff, Packers, Bengals. And well, where do you start? I guess you start at the end of the game. <laughs> Mason Crosby really revisiting what happened in Detroit two or three years ago when he, you know, he missed those five field goals and an extra point in the Detroit game. I think it's three seasons ago now. And just an incredible end to the game this week. And it looked like neither team <laughs> wanted wanted to win. You know, it, it, it looked for all the world, I think, once we got to got to overtime, the game might end up in a in a twenty two twenty two tie. Which, by the way, would have been the first 22-22 tie in the history of the NFL. That score has never come up before. But I think we can allow Mason some leeway. You know, he, he kicked 27 field goals straight before he went on the run of, of misses, three misses towards the end of the end of the game. And, you know, you see some stuff in social media ripping on him and whatever else. You have to take it in totality. So he's he's kicked 27 or now 28 of the last 31 field goal attempts that he, that he's taken for the Packers. That's a pretty damn good percentage. And one week does not a season or a, or a career make. Now, if these problems continue into future weeks, then that's something that that you know we will have to have to be reassessed. But I'm sure that it, whatever it is, whether it's Mason, whether there was a problem with the snaps or the holds. And, and I'm sure that stuff won't come out if there were, but that stuff will all, all get worked out. And I, I don't think at this stage there's any reason at all to be concerned. It made the end of the game interesting, very, very, very interesting. And the likes, of, likes really, we've probably not seen before and won't, and won't see again, hopefully. And I'm sure had we had the swear jar out during the game, there would have been a few quarters been thrown in as those as those field goals were missing. But hey... At least we didn't celebrate a field goal that hit the flag and didn't go go in like the Bengals. 
kicker did. So more about the Packers overall in that Bengals game. I thought, again, another solid all-round performance. The Bengals are a better team than they've been for a number of years. When you look on the offensive side of the ball, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon when he's fully fit, that's a team that's going to compete with most teams in the NFL this year. And with seven teams making the playoffs from each conference, the Bengals could be there or thereabouts for making the playoffs in the AFC. And that's better than they've been for a long, long time. So I think for the Packers, it was a game that, that could easily have looked past, but they didn't. And I think that in the Matt LaFleur era, they've been really good about winning the games that they should win. So not looking beyond the Bengals to this week's Bears game, which for some teams would be easy to do. We'll look past that team that we know that we ought to beat, prepare for the following week, at least mentally prepare for the following week. And all of a sudden, the game that you should win, you lose. Yes, the Packers could have lost on Sunday, but they were the, they were the better team. And let's talk about some of the individual performances. And when you do that, you have to start with Devontae Adams. I think every time that we see Devontae Adams put up this type of performance, and yes, he had 206 receiving yards, but this type of performance, 100-yard receiving games, 150-yard receiving games, are so frequent with Devontae that it's difficult to take a step back and realize what we're watching here. We're certainly watching the best wide receiver the Packers have had since the days of Sterling Sharp. And that's saying something when you look at the receiving talent that the Packers have had between Sharp and Adams, the Jordy Nelsons, the Donald Drivers, those types of people. And I think you don't necessarily realise what you have until it's gone. It's possible with contract situations that Adams may not be with the team next year, but he's an incredible receiver. And I think from, well, three or four aspects of his game, but it's easy to look at Adams and say, yeah, but he gets targeted a lot. Well, he gets targeted a lot because he's so good. If you're the quarterback, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you A, believe that Adams is going to get open. B, you believe that he's going to catch every ball that you throw in his direction. And C, you believe that he's going to catch those balls even if he's not open. You would imagine on nearly every pass play that's called that Adams is likely to be your first read. And that could be a blessing and a curse, but Adams is, is so good. Now, obviously, that means that the likes of Alan Lazard, Bobby Tonyan are not catching as many balls as, as the Packers would probably like. Now, I think what we're going to see over the course of a season, these things tend to even themselves out. There'll be weeks upcoming where Tonyan will be more featured, where Lazard will be more featured. You know, we've seen Randall Cobb come to the fore in the last couple of weeks and another good performance this past weekend against the Bengals. So I think you have to take it in totality and see where you are after 10 or 12 games because Adams isn't going to catch 206 receiving yards every week. I think one of the other interesting things we see in the passing game is A.J. Dillon caught four balls this past weekend, touchdown reception. And it's a guy that caught very few passes at Boston College. But that talent as a pass receiver was always there. He just didn't get that many opportunities in college. Showed it at the Combine in, 20, in 2020. It's certainly no surprise to me that A.J. Dillon is, is showing up as an excellent receiver coming out of the backfield. You've also got Aaron Jones, of course. Now, the one thing we hope that the Peridos can start to get the running game going. And, and, I, and I feel like Jones broke off that 57-yarder towards the end of the game last week. And I feel like that running game is just a step away from, from breaking out three yards here it's four yards there it's five yards there it's a two yards then it's 15 yards and you feel like that 57 yarder that Jones had was just waiting to happen hopefully if the Packers start to get guys back on the offensive line Elton Jenkins comes back Myers comes back Bakhtiari comes back later on in the season that the offensive line will have time to gel and that's not a criticism of the guys that are playing right now a lot of offensive line play as a unit, particularly getting the running game going, is about having those guys being able to gel. And when you're having to swap guys in and out each week and you're missing your all-pro left tackle, you're missing your all-pro pro bowler, Elton Jenkins, who can play tackle or guard, that's a heck of a lot to be missing. The guys that have come in, Josh Nyman's been really good at, at left tackle. John Runyon played well last year, has continued to play well in the games that he's, that he's stepped into the last few weeks but a lot of it's about getting those getting those guys to gel and I think as the season goes on I think we're going to see that running game break out 
as the offensive line gets gets to work more and more together. Our question marks on the offense for me are about where are Bobby Tonin and where are, was Alan Lazard in the passing game. I think we have to wait to see over the next few weeks whether they start to come to the fore as they're, as they're included more in the game plan when they're playing different opponents, whether when Devontae Adams is picking up double and, and triple coverage. Let's just see how that goes. I don't, I don't think there's anything to be overly concerned about. The offense hasn't broken out yet as we would expect it to do, but this is still a four-on-one team. If the offense can be playing like it's playing right now and they're four and one, let's hope the offense can gradually step it up as the season goes on so that by week 15, week 16, week 17, into the playoffs, that they're playing their best best ball. Because that's the time to be playing your best football. Moving on to the defense. And again, I, I would say this is another solid defensive performance. And I think you look at the Packers defense in 2021 and you start in one place and that's Devondre Campbell. Another interception Sunday. But it's not just those turnover plays, not just those big plays. Campbell is a very disciplined, consistent player. When he's covering covering a guy past defense in coverage, he's never far from his guy. So even if the guy makes a catch, the receiver makes a catch, Campbell's there to make the tackle. So he's not getting yards after the catch. You know, a five-yard gain doesn't become a 15-yard gain. A five-yard gain stays as a five-yard gain. He's also very disciplined uh, in run defense doesn't take himself out of the play. So this, so he's becoming the player that we've expected to have seen at that spot over the last few years. Perhaps the player that we thought Christian Kirksey may, may have been. Now, we're only five games in. Five games does not a season or a career make. So let's let's not let's not place the guy in the in the Hall of Fame yet. But you know he's been excellent and certainly the biggest positive surprise for the Packers this season, if not one of the biggest positive surprises in the entire NFL. Let's just hope that Devondre Campbell can continue to play that way. I thought Kenny Clark was active again this past weekend. So the last couple of games, we're seeing more of Kenny Clark. Interestingly, being lined up at defensive end on a num on a number of plays with TJ Slayton coming in at the nose you know and that's interesting to see that obviously enables Clark to have some single blocking at times and whilst we're not seeing his name appear in a in the stat sheet in certainly in terms of in terms of sacks I think Clark is beginning to again get up to his best level of play the other guy I want, want to mention on defense and he gets a lot of heat and he gets, seems to get a lot of heat even when it's not his fault is Kevin King. I thought that coming back from the couple of weeks that he's, that he's been out with illness, I thought that Kevin King played his best game probably for a season and a half. We saw people jump on the bandwagon when Jamar Chase caught that 70-yard touchdown pass that Savage nearly got to. That wasn't on Kevin King. It certainly looked like the Packers were playing quarters coverage. King had zone, zone defense on the, on the left side of the Packers defense, the right side of the of the offense underneath coverage and that the two safeties, Amos and, and Savage, were deep, in essence, in cover too. And Savage, that being the, the case, Savage absolutely has to get over and make that play. That that's what he's there for in cover two defense. And in fairness to, to Darnell Savage, you know, he came out and recognized that on Twitter. And I think he, he posted something like, those will be interceptions in the future, words to, to that effect inches away from making that play, but that is his play to make. Let's hope that Kevin King, especially with Jair Alexander out, that Kevin King can continue to play at the level he did this past weekend. Having said all that, I'm still concerned about the number of times that the Packers corners, King, Stokes, Isaac Yardin when he was in the game, the, the cushion that they give that they give receivers. And you've got to believe that that's scheme. They did it a lot with under Mike Pettin, and they seem to be doing it a lot under Joe Barry. And that kind of signifies that this is a bend but don't break defense. And I think, in fairness, certainly between the 20s, that's been doing the job for the Packers. But we have to be concerned about the red zone defense. The Packers given up a touchdown every single time the opposing offense gets in, into the red zone. And yes, there'll be reasons for that. Amos, on one of the touchdowns, Amos was a victim of, of offensive pass interference when he was blocked before the pass was even thrown. So there are some reasons for that. But ultimately, that red zone defense has, has got to get better. You've got to stop teams in the red zone. You've got to make them kick field goals and hopefully miss, miss field goals. Make seven points become three and maybe three becomes zero. You just can't have that level of red zone defense. 
Do I think that they'll work it out? Yes, yes, I do. These are experienced coaches and players that if we can see it, if the media can see it, if other teams can see it, you know that they know it's an issue. I'd expect them to be working hard. And I, and I think it's something that will get worked out. And again, you have to go back and say, this is a four and one Packers team that with those issues that we've just described existing, imagine if those issues started to go away. They got slightly better at red zone defense. If the offense got slightly better, if the defense got one or two more turnovers, then all, all of a sudden, how much better can this team get? So I think there's lots to be positive about as we move into, into Bears week. And what bigger game is there other than playoff games? What, are, what bigger game is there for Packers? It's Bears week. Now, this is a rivalry, obviously, that in recent years, the Packers have dominated and now lead the overall series 101, 95 and 6. And it's amazing to think that the Packers went ahead in this series in 2017. But as recently as 1992, Packers were 24 games behind in that series. 24 games. So in less than 30 years, in 20, 25 years, the Packers turned around that 24-game deficit. Packers have swept the Bears eight times in the last 12 years, and I think it's 16 times in the last 27 seasons. The Packers have won 10 of the last 11 at, at Soldier Field, so it's almost like having an extra home game for, for the Packers. The history, and certainly the recent history, really since the Holmgren-Favre era is on the Packers' side, heading into, into this most storied of NFL rivalries. What do the Packers have to be concerned about? We've talked about red zone defense. So we've talked about some of the things on the Packers' side. The Bears always have a solid defense. Any team that's got Khalil Mack and some of those guys, but, but that's what you expect with the Bears. Even when the Bears have had bad teams, they've had solid or even better than that defenses. You look at the offensive side of the ball for the Bears and you look at Justin Fields has played successively better over the last couple of weeks. If you take a step back, that's a good thing. It's good to see quarterbacks who were successful in college start to show that kind of level in the NFL. Now he's got a long way to go. He's only averaging between five and six yards per attempt. They're not asking him to throw long very much. I mean, I think he only threw for just over 100 yards last week. But the Bears have won consecutive games. As, as the season goes on, I'm, I'm sure that Fields will make more and more plays. So probably a good time to be playing Fields and that offense. Obviously, he's not helped by the offensive line, giving up sack after sack each, each week. And not just the sacks, but the heat and the pressure. And that's something that the Packers have got to take advantage of this coming week. We have to see the likes of Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark, even the unsung guys, the Dean Lowry's of this world, put pressure on fields this week. You can't allow any NFL quarterback to sit back there and pick you apart. And with a rookie, obviously, you want to pressure him. You want to show him stuff that he's not seen before. So I think there's a lot of onus on that front four front seven to get that pressure this week and I think and I think that they will the Bears running game you know, David Montgomery is out but they were solid last week Khalil Herbert rushed for I think it was 70 odd 80 yards and the offense did just enough for them to come through with the victory so from a Packers perspective then how do they beat the Bears pressure the passer as we just talked about I think get the running game going, which I think, as I said earlier in, in this pod, is on the verge of breaking out. And I think we'll see a lot of Aaron Jones. I think we'll see a lot of AJ Dillon. For me, I'd like to see the Packers throw some shorter passes. Rogers gets on, on rhythm, one, two, three, and get the ball out of there. And I think the Packers can win this game reasonably comfortably. I'm predicting a Packers 27 Bears 13 um, game this this coming week. I'm I'm not always overly confident when it comes comes to the Packers, but I think this is a game that, barring some strange stuff happening, and yes, we saw strange stuff last weekend, but barring some strange stuff happening, I think the Packers are going to win this game relatively comfortably, and we'll be sitting nicely at the top of the division at five and one come Sunday evening. And that's about it. I hope you've stuck with me this far. Dale and Todd will be back shortly. Like I say, we're like the Packers offensive line. We're all going to get this all together and be all together very, very shortly. And as always, go Pack Go. Again, I've been saying it all season. I don't want to be too confident, but 
I'm not right quite there with JF1 yet. I think he played okay. He didn't lose the game for them this past week against the Raiders. I think the Raiders were just too fucked up from the whole Gruden thing. They were kind of lost out there. Bears are pretty good, though. Justin Fields still scares me because he can get out of the pocket. He's a pretty accurate thrower for a rookie. Darnell Mooney ate the Packers alive last year. Allen Robinson, I really think, is a good player, too. The problem they have is that David Montgomery is an IR, right? Now it's Damian Williams, whoever the fuck that is. Cole Komet, mm, better than Jimmy the Statue Graham for sure, but not, you know, you're not scared by him, not yet. I mean, he hasn't really shown as much as I expected from him. And on offense, their line is fucking terrible. I said it on Zero Doinks. It's like, Super Tecmo Bowl. You remember that game? Tecmo Bowl or Super Tecmo Bowl when you call the right defensive play and then everybody would just pile on whoever had the ball and just destroy them. That's kind of how I see the Bears offensive line. They just, they're going to get Justin Fields killed. Jason Peters is like 674 years old. I don't even know the rest of these dudes. Cody Whitehair, Sam Mustafer, James Daniels. Elijah Wilkinson. Yeah. No Tevin Jenkins. No talent. The Packers, even though their linebacker core, their outside linebackers, knows Darius Smith. Preston Smith was dinged up. You've got Ladarius. What was it? Ladarius Hamilton. Garvin's now out. So you're at Chauncey Rivers is out. Like there's a lot of question marks i still think they should be able to rush the passer and get a bunch of sacks in this game so i'll just go with the keys make this a shorter episode so i'm not talking forever on offense the key is to contain khalil mack roquan smith danny trevathan all of those guys need to be somehow stopped from rushing if we keep the pass rush off of aaron Rodgers, he's gonna have another field day I think that's it. Yeah, we usually talk about running the football, but keeping Aaron Rodgers clean in this game. Khalil Mack has been on fire lately. Keeping Aaron Rodgers clean is my offensive key. And on defense, it's simply the opposite. Put pressure on Justin Fields. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Blitzes in his face. Blitzes from the corner. I know Justin Fields said the game slows down for him, but that was a preseason, brother. Nobody was doing anything fancy. That's easy to play the game in the preseason when nobody's got a scheme going on. Hopefully, Joe Barry just brings the pressure all the time. And that's basically it. I appreciate you listening. So thanks for listening to episode 58. Oh, I should do a score prediction. Here's my score prediction for this week. I think it is Packers 27, Bears 17. Again, thanks for listening to episode 58, and go Pack Go. Go.